Pastor Xavier Reese preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. This is the first thing that the cross teaches us about man. Religious men cannot bypass the cross. And maybe you are religious. Maybe you are faithful to go to church and that. But you've never come to the cross and say, you know what? That cross was for me. And I need to call upon the name of the Lord. Then God would have you to open your heart to him. Because the Bible says even demons believe, but at least they tremble. Do you tremble? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Before the resurrection, the crucifixion of Christ meant the death of Jesus as the apostles and the world saw it. However, in hindsight, we see that Jesus was paying the price for our sin, fulfilling the sacrifice God required for our salvation. And as we come to chapter 15 in our study series of the Gospel of Mark, Pastor Xavier draws out the many simple truths the cross of Christ teaches us about man, salvation, and sin. Let's listen. Paul the Apostle tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I think there, there is not only a great misconception and misunderstanding about the cross in terms of the world, but also within the church of Jesus Christ. And hopefully this morning as we look to Mark's section here in chapter 15, we can see some of the things that the cross of Christ teaches us. In verse 21 it says, Now they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it, speaking of Jesus. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was a third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on the right and the other on the left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also together with the scribes mocked and said among themselves, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe, and those who were crucified with him revile him. There are some important things that Mark teaches us here regarding the cross, which I hope will clear up your own biblical understanding about the cross. Because so often we look at the cross as Christians as if it's just where Christ died and that's where I was forgiven and that's all there's to it. But there's so much more that the cross speaks. There's so much more that it represents. Others look at the cross as at some emotional point of contact where, you know, you just come and you remember his death and his suffering and you cry and you get emotional and then you leave and that's it. But there's much more than that. The first thing I want to point out to you we find from verse 21 down to 28, is that the cross teaches us certain things about man, very important things. 
The first thing we see in verse 21 is that religious men cannot bypass the cross of Christ. Here you have Simon the Cyrenian, a religious man, a godly man as far as we know. He's come from Africa to the feast. According to the law, every male Jew had to come to the three feasts a year. You had Passover, you had Pentecost, you had Tabernacles. Here he comes. He's prepared himself. He's come to worship. He's come to offer sacrifice. And he's walking by and with all that that's going on, and he cannot bypass the cross of Christ. Here the centurion compels him to bear the cross of Christ. How often religious men think that they can bypass the cross of Christ thinking that they are good in themselves and sufficient in themselves. Because they belong to, belong to some denomination, they belong to some church, their name is in some scroll, and that they do not have to confess or embrace the cross of Christ as so-called sinners. What a mistake. The Cyrenians were present in the day of Pentecost Acts. 2.10 tells us when Peter cries out and declares all the different people that were there. They also had a synagogue in Acts 6.9 there in Jerusalem, the holy city, city of David. It was the very synagogue that Stephen went to preach and they stoned him. So you may be religious, but it doesn't mean that you know Christ. You may be religious, but you may not know anything about salvation. You see, the cross teaches that the religious man cannot bypass the cross. Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans 10, 11, and 18, that whole section there, that there is none good, no, not one. Almost as if to say, as someone's reading the letter, Paul saying, no, not even you. None righteous. Everybody has gone their own way. And Paul says there in that section that, that men have lost the fear of God. And so I think that some of the people who need God most desperately are people who are in church. They come in every week. They know the scriptures. They're involved in ministry. But they don't know Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the description, the identity, the picture of man. We are children of wrath by nature. We are running according to the course of this world. And the word they're speaking about, a weather vane. You know, as a weather vane, you know, the wind hits and it just turns with it. Well, that's the picture of man. And yet so often we, we, we think we're not like that. But stop and think, if men did not have the nature of a weather vane, advertisement would never work. <laughs> Advertisement would not spend billions of dollars in advertisement if we weren't weather vanes. Now, we talk a lot about our children falling into peer pressure for drugs, sex, and everything else. But how about adults? Adults give in to pressure all the time. No different. I mean, look at the fashions. I mean, if they say we wear this, we all wear it. We are pressured. And so this is the nature of man. And, and, and men who are religious cannot bypass a cross. We all have to be careful lest we think that we are beyond the need of the cross or that we are beyond pressure. We don't meander. We don't just flow with the wind. We do. Because we are always looking for the easiest way out. We're looking for the way which is most acceptable to man, not really to God. 
And so this is the first thing that the cross teaches us about man. Religious man cannot bypass the cross. And maybe you are religious this morning. Maybe you are faithful to go to church and that. But you've never been born again. You've never come to the cross and said, you know what? That cross was for me. That payment was for me. And I need to call upon the name of the Lord. Then God would have you this morning to open your heart to him. Because the Bible says even demons believe, but at least they tremble. Do you tremble? At least they have the good common sense to tremble. There's a second thing. It says that all men are walking towards death. Look at verse 22. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Golgotha is in Aramaic. Calvary is in Latin. The skull represents death. How we try to evade death as Christians or even as human beings. Look at the world around you. The world is forever. I don't know any generation that probably tries to escape the whole aspect of death than this generation. Maybe there's been a generation before. I haven't done a historical study. But if there has, we can't be too far from them. Look around you. You've got a 78, 80-year-old woman who's got facelifts and everything else. She looks like she's 45 years old. But she'll die just at the right time. <laughs> she'll be the best-looking corpse on Rose Hills. <laughs> but she'll die right on time. Now, am I speaking against taking care of your body, eating right, exercise? No, I'm not speaking against that. But look at the obsession of denying. Not escaping, because we can't escape death. Of denying that death is even part of life. Hair implants, liposuction, breast implants. I mean, you can get and do whatever you want. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to die. I don't want to die, and I'm going to do the best not to die. And yet, death is part of life. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man to die once, then the judgment. And everything you see in our society in the United States says, hey, you don't have to die. You can be young forever. You're going to die right on time if the Lord tarries. And believe me, you are going to die physically. And so the cross teaches us certain things about men. And this one is that all men are walking towards death. In Genesis chapter 5, you have the record of all those men, and you read, this guy died, this guy lived, this guy lived, this guy lived, 500, 600, 700, Methuselah, 969 years. That's a long time, man. But after every one of them says, and he died, only one person didn't die, and that was Enoch, the seventh from Adam, for he walked with God, and God took him. A beautiful picture of the church that is going to be alive when Christ returns, and he raptures her out of here. The only way we're not going to die is if the Lord comes back before we die physically. But if God tarries, you and I are going to die. We are on a road to death. I mean, stop and think about it. We do everything we can not to. And yet God is so gracious. You know, I mean, look how we age. We age very gradual. And you know, and you think when you're young, oh man. You can't wait to be 16 and drive. <laughs> You can't wait to be 18. Then you can't wait to be 21. And after 21, the brakes go out. <laughs> 30s and 40s, and you start seeing, well, your hair is getting more gray, more wrinkles. 
Your chest drops a little, becomes a middle drawer, and hangs out. <laughs> I mean, God is so graceful. Just about when your face clears up, your eyes go fuzzy. <laughs> and so Paul the Apostle says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We want to escape death, but we can't. The cross teaches us that. We're all headed towards death. But it also teaches that men are not mainly concerned with gaining their soul, but gaining material gain. Look at verse 24. As Christ was crucified there, the centurions, the soldiers, were there dividing his garments, casting lots. As I look to the world around me today, I, I see a continuing, persistent, and very diligent effort to disciple men to live for money and material gain. From the college classroom to the television to even the church at times, that we are to live for gain. And yet Paul says those who profess that godliness is gain get away from them. They don't understand the scriptures. Am I saying you're to be irresponsible and never work? No, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. And yet the whole culture teaches us that money is the most important thing. Now the problem with that is that it's coming to the church also. And yet, you know, Jesus said earlier, remember we were through Mark in chapter 8. He said in verse 36, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? I mean, we, I just heard Donald Trump the other day. You know, he says he's going he's gonna to refinance all his buildings, everything he has, because he, he wants cash. He, he, want, he says cash is king. Well, if Donald Trump is not born again and he dies, he's going to find out Jesus is king. Because all the money in the world is going to be absolutely nothing when you die. Absolutely nothing. I've never seen a hearse hauling a U-Haul, you know, with all furnishings and everything. <laughs> See, the whole world tells us what's important is gain. There is your value, but the scriptures declare that your value is in your soul. That God wants to redeem and so as a Christian, I am put in a very awkward situation in this world, especially in this culture I live in, because it always tells me, go, 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 go. And Jesus says, you follow me. And yet that doesn't mean that Christians can't have finances. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 32, all these things do the Gentiles seek. And he says, you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. I need clothes, I need money, I need a house, I need a car. But I need the kingdom of God more. And if I follow the kingdom, God will provide those things. He won't provide all of my wants, but he will provide my needs. That's what he promises. And so I need to realize that this is where men's heart's at. And you and I certainly are not exempt from this, so we are always in tension, aren't we? Now, let me say this. If you're putting your job before your growth in Christ, you're sinning against God. And when you're young, you're always saying, well, you know, I mean, things are tough. If we don't do it now, we're never going to get a house. What's the house going to be worth it if you lose your soul? Is the house worth it when you lose your marriage? Because you've been out of fellowship, you haven't been fed, 
You're not seeing God work through your life, but you've been working just night and day and, and everything else just to get the house, and you get the house, and you lose the marriage, and then the house doesn't mean anything. What have you gained? I've seen that too often. Is there anything wrong with the house? No. Hey, you can get it. Go for it. But make sure it comes through the kingdom. Jesus first. And too many Christians are compromising and going for all these things. And you know what? It's costing them heavy, heavy price. I mean, when I first became a Christian, as I told you, God messed up my life. And I had a real dilemma. I came, okay, Lord, you know, here's this, you know, and I got to fall. Okay. But God's been faithful to me. I've never lacked. It's been tough sometimes, but I've never lacked. And yet as I look at what God has given me today, it's all meaningless if God isn't in it. What good is my house if my relationship with Christ is not there? What good is my house if my family is lost? It's no good. And yet what you're going to be hearing through television, radio, and everything else is gain, 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 gain. Greed, gain. But there's one more thing in verse 27. And that is that evil men are not excluded from the cross. It's the third hour, 9 o'clock that he was crucified. The king of the Jews is over his head. And they crucified him also with two robbers, the one on the right and the one on the left. Now this is where James and John would have been if God would have said, Okay, I'll let you have your request. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer your stupid wishes? But he only answers prayer. <laughs> you see, the cross excludes no one. It makes no difference who you are, what you've done, the depths of sin that you have been into. I may reject you for your sin, but God will never reject you. But in my rejection, I stand guilty before God. There is no pit. There is no sin. There is nothing that has touched you or you have touched that God cannot cleanse you from and make you new. This is what the cross says. From religious to totally depraved to perverse, the cross declares it's available to you. Where do you find that in religion? Nowhere. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Timothy 1.16 that God put him as a pattern, an example for all those who would follow. He killed Christians. He tortured Christians. He forced Christians to, to deny Christ. He jailed them. That's what he was on his way to do when he got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. And so Paul is a pattern. And God will put people in your life as pattern and they'll be worse than you ever were. And you say, man, there's hope for me. <laughs> and if you're not careful, you look at others and say, well, I wasn't that bad. Be careful of that. <laughs> because that's self-righteousness. You see, you get the picture from religious, good moral people to criminals. The cross is available. No one is excluded. And so these are some important things that we need to learn that the cross teaches us about men. So important, so we have a proper understanding of what the cross says. Otherwise, we turn it into a cultural cross. A denominational cross. A, a little group cross. 
Paul says, the height and the depth and the breadth of the cross, the love of Christ. Wide, high, deep, sufficient. But the cross teaches us a second thing. The cross teaches us certain things about salvation. In verses 28 through 32, the first thing it teaches us is that salvation will be misunderstood. Verse 29 and 30. He said, those who pass by blaspheme him and wag their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You see, they misunderstood salvation. They were only understanding the physical aspect. They thought that Jesus was speaking about the physical temple, but he was speaking about his body, spiritually being raised from the dead. And yet how many people misunderstand salvation? They think that salvation is just simply a, a, a way to, to change one's life here, just for right now, just for themselves. Salvation has eternity in mind, first of all. But secondly, salvation does not have in view just you, but it has in view others. And so even in the church of Jesus Christ, we misunderstand salvation. And so we get saved and we become very comfortable and we become very me-oriented like we were in the world. But the only thing we're doing now is in the church. What I used to do in the world, now I do in the church. And that's a wrong misunderstanding of salvation. Salvation is to radically change my way of thinking and way of life. How I respond. How I deal with people. How I view myself. How I extend myself. Radically different. Am I talking about perfection? Never. Look around you. But you're looking right at something that's not perfect, me. And God chooses to use you and use me in that way. So many people today look to the church building as salvation. Oh, I go to church. They know the scriptures. Some of you are even involved in ministries in another church or whatever it is. But you've misunderstood salvation. You think it's localized. You think it's just for you. And you're not looking at the wide view that God gave. It's the world. The world. That's how wide the cross is. Secondly, it tells salvation is love for others and not self. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 31. Likewise, the chief priests also, together with the scribes, mocked him, and among themselves they said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. How prophetic. That's exactly why he couldn't save himself, because he was saving others. See, salvation is reaching out to save others. Salvation is, is sacrificing me for others. Salvation is giving to myself for others. Salvation is recognizing that I'm not the most important person. That's not a popular message today with all our self-esteem with the psychologists who call themselves Christians. You know where your esteem comes from? The cross. You look at esteem within yourself or for something you are, you're going to come up with a dead-end street and you're going to come up with an unbiblical basis. The reason I have a right view of myself is because I have a right view of the cross. 
I belong there. And Christ hung on there for me. Pastor Xavier Reese, pausing in our Simple Truth study for today with some vital clarifications of the completed work of salvation on the cross, drawn from Mark chapter 15. Now there's much more of this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Cross of Christ. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Cross of Christ, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 